Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. All right, turn your Bibles quickly. Let's get into the teaching of the, today. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to read it together, so I want you to open it. Don't just look at the screen. Um, and I want you to highlight it in your Bible. If you're using an iPad, it makes no difference. Use a compass and scratch through. You know? And then if you scroll down and it changes, underline it there also. Do it until no matter where you scroll, it is highlighted. The verse is that important. Praise the Lord. And if you don't know, I'm joking. You're on your own. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Read together. One, two, go. Talk about the gospel in a nutshell. Such a powerful verse. It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Listen, every argument against the deity of Christ is dead on arrival. It says it's without controversy. It says great is the mystery of godliness. It says God was manifest in the flesh. It makes no sense logically. Well, we're talking about God. We're talking about God here. Why do you think you must wrap your mind around it? He says it's without controversy. Yes, it's a mystery, but it's true. The fact that you struggle with it logically does not make it a lie. It's without controversy. I've heard many arguments against the deity of Christ. How can God be father and son at the same time? Listen, the fact that you struggle to wrap your mind around it does not make it a lie. Listen, you know what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6? It says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Yes, so he's a child. Yes, he's a son. But then who is the son and who is the child? He says, his name shall be called. Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. So that child born will be the mighty God. That child born will be the everlasting father. So he had an origin in his humanity, but he is everlasting. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he had always been God without any beginning, but he had a beginning to his humanity. There's a difference. That child born will be everlasting father. It's without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. How shall it be, you say? John tries to explain it to you. In John chapter 1 from verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then in verse 14, he says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. So if God is the Word and the Word became flesh, it means God became flesh. God became a man, which is what Paul is explaining to Timothy. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. And I like what he says next. He said, seen of angels. Wow. Meaning the incarnation benefited the angels too. 
The angels had never seen God before. Yes, the cherubs, they stand right in front of the throne, but they would dare not look. With two of their wings, they would cover their face and just fly around and worship and adoration. But in the incarnation, they could put a face to the glory. Did you hear what I said? They could finally put a face to the glory. So now, angels could behold in a form, God manifest in the flesh. Angels were seen for the first time also. This is so important and so special. But you already know we're teaching on prayer. And you're wondering what does this have to do with prayer? It has everything to do with prayer. The teaching series for this month is School of Prayer. Anchor text Luke chapter 11 from verse 1. And we're drawing lessons from prayer from Jesus. And you won't really appreciate how important the lessons are until it's in your consciousness who Jesus was and is. He was God manifest in the flesh. He was not the first to teach on prayer, but his teaching on prayer is different. You have to understand. Yes, we have a lot to learn about prayer, reading the writings of David. We have a lot to learn about prayer, reading the writings of Moses. But Moses had divine encounters. David had divine encounters. Jesus was divine. That's the difference. Are you listening to me? I said Moses had divine encounters and he came to teach you based on his divine encounters on prayer. David had divine encounters and came to teach you based on his divine encounters on prayer. Jesus was divine. And so he teaches with a kind of authority and clarity that no one else could. And so you can understand their fascination in Luke chapter 11 verse 1. Put it up fast as you can. You know, these are people who are religious. They had been praying before, but now, the Bible says it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, that one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. You can understand their fascination because he prayed in such a way that they had never heard before. In such a manner that they had never seen before. And it made religious people want to learn afresh. It's because of who he is. Listen, the teaching on prayer doesn't get clearer than this. At least at this point. Do you know what privilege it is? That God himself stood in our place and prayed. So from his prayer, we can know for sure how to pray. At least at, at, at this time, this was the best. This was the closest you could get to as far as excellence in the place of prayer is concerned. Jesus prayed. Oh, thank God for the Bible. Thank God it was recorded. Thank God for journalism. Thank God people took it upon themselves to journal what he said. What a privilege it is. The Son of God prayed. Oh, I want to know what he said. And, you know, just the privilege to know that you can learn to pray. They said, teach us to pray. There is a school of prayer. It doesn't matter where you are in your understanding of prayer. Or in your devotional life, as far as prayer is concerned, you can get better. Last week we learned on perseverance in prayer. If after three minutes you are getting tired, you can get better. If after 30 minutes you are tired, you can get better. If after you've never prayed two hours in your life, you can get better. 
Because mark my words, you will need it one day. So we learned about perseverance in prayer. Thank God we can learn to pray. They said, teach us to pray. But not only must you learn to pray, there are also things to unlearn. Not just things to learn, but things to unlearn. Most of these guys were John the Baptist's disciples before. If you've read the book of John, you know that. John pointed them to Jesus, and most of them just left. So they were John's disciples. They knew how John used to pray, but then they saw Jesus pray. <laughs> and they said, sir, teach us afresh. John taught his disciples, teach us. And that's very instructive in this generation that thinks everything is about denomination. We just use um, denomination as an excuse not to learn objectively from the word of God. Now, you look at the body of Christ today and there are different styles of prayer. Some pray with favor. Some pray, you know, in a very melancholy manner. Some are always praying, die, die, die. Some are always praying kingdom, you know. And I understand that you are noble. You just want peace. You don't want to bother yourself about differences. So you say everybody is right. But that's not true. Jesus prayed. And so all our differences, as far as views on prayer is concerned, can be eradicated if we will just study how we prayed. Come on, now you get what I'm saying. It's not enough to know that you can learn to pray. You must also know that there, is, there are things to unlearn. So we must have the same humility as the disciples to say, teach us. Let's get to the word to learn how to pray. Funny enough, one of the first things I learned about prayer was perseverance. I was 12 years old when my father came to my room one morning. He tapped me and then he had tapped my sister already. And he said, get ready, we are praying all day today. So, as we're, my sister and I were going to prepare, we said, did he mean all day? Said, my sister said, he's joking, Joe. Then we started, 6 a.m. We went to 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2. I was 12, 12 years old. That's why, maybe that's why he did 12 years prayer, to mark <laughs> 12 hours I thought I was going to die but I didn't and I want to tell you the truth from that day I sort of had a chip on my shoulder have you prayed 12 hours before? I prayed 12 hours since I was 12 <laughs> oh, you mean you've not prayed 12 hours before? you know all those things even when the conversation does not warrant it, I will just chip it in. Ah, I remember the day I prayed to us. <laughs> just so you know, we're not mates. And so there's this relative that we had. And their oldest sister was a pastor in a very vibrant ministry in this country that was very word-based. And every time we went there for holiday, the woman used to just bring us to the parlor. After, we just wanted to watch movies then. We wanted to watch Matrix. We used to watch Matrix on their laptop and all of that. But after that, she would just pause everything and they start playing sermons. Ah, we hated it. 
But now I felt I had something I would tell her and she'll be impressed. This boy that you have been trying to encourage in the Lord, he has prayed 12 hours. I'm not even sure you, mentor man, if you have <laughs> done that before. So as her custom was, as I was in that house, she brought me aside, put me on the dining to teach me the gospel. And she just said, how is your work with God? Straight up, you can guess my response. Oh, very fine. In fact, recently, I prayed 12 hours. And she said, okay, nice, but what did you pray? Uh -uh. So I'd never heard such a question before. What do you mean, what did I pray? I prayed 12 hours. I prayed. I thought prayer is prayer. And she asked because she knew my family. <laughs> She knew all we used to pray then was die, die, die. So she said, well, that's nice, but what did you pray? And she was looking, I can still picture the concern in her face. Like, what did you pray? She was worried that I was praying 12 hours. It gave her more concern than encouragement. <laughs> and I was even more confused. What is, what is this? This was not the response I, I was expecting. What do you mean, what did you pray? And she began to say things that I didn't quite understand. She lost me the moment she asked, what did you pray? I thought she was a hater. What I didn't know at that time is that as important as perseverance in prayer is, purpose is more important. So this is school of prayer. We had school of prayer 101 last week. This is 102. 101, you learned about perseverance in prayer. Today, you have to learn about purpose in prayer. Because purpose is more important than perseverance. It doesn't matter if you run 100 meters race in four seconds, which nobody has ever done. There are rules. If you beat the gun, you still wouldn't be given the prize. If you cross your lane, you still won't be given the prize. You must run circumspectly. There are rules in the realm of the spirit. Rules. So there is a way to pray. And it's good to pray long, but it's more important to pray well. And so when they came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. Jesus dwelt on the purpose that's the most important thing. You know the first thing Jesus said in prayer? He said, our father who art in heaven. Oh, listen to me. I know you know the Lord's prayer. You, I mean, you, in primary school, in your assembly ground, you recited it every day. That was your daily recitation. But apparently in the body of Christ, people still haven't learned this. He said, our father who art in heaven. And you say, oh, well, we all know he's our father. Maybe you don't. Let me tell you something. Many people in the body of Christ have not learned the purpose of prayer. And that's why we're struggling. Have you ever seen someone that is so prayerful and yet so wicked? Be honest. Many people in this church, in this, not this locality, but in the body of Christ, it feels like their prayer life is a contradiction. Everybody's like, you're so wicked, you're so unforgiving. You can keep a grudge and still keep a prayer life. Have you seen people like that? They're not talking to you. You might be in the same church. They're not talking. But when it comes to prayer, ah, Father, you, why? How are we able to do that? 
Because when the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse then becomes inevitable. That's why we've lost the purpose of prayer. We've kept the tenacity. We've kept the perseverance. We've kept the favor. But we've lost the purpose. And so Jesus says, our Father, this is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven. This is what made the disciples want to learn from Jesus. He prayed to God like he had a relationship. They didn't see that in John's prayer. He prayed like he had a relationship. He called God Father. It irked the Jews. It made them angry. But he had a relationship. And now he's teaching them, this is not exclusive to me. God would have all of you have this consciousness. Remember in prayer, you're talking to your daddy. So meaning this is about intimacy, not about transaction. Ah, did you hear what I said? This is about what? You're not talking to a genie in a bottle. You're talking to daddy. And the reason why many of us have not improved is because, you know, when I'm saying things like this, you say, I know. No, you don't know. If you knew, you would pray different. Prayer is about affection, not transaction. Our Father who is in heaven. And so if your prayer life doesn't reflect a vibrant and a robust relationship, it is fundamentally wrong. You are missing something core and fundamental. The first thing he says in teaching them to pray, he says, our father. Listen, prayer without relationship is possible. You have to understand it. It is possible, but it is dangerous. Have you heard people say, God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners? They are wrong. Read your Bible. The Bible tells us about, and well, they have a point, but I wish I had the time to explain carefully what it means. You can't constantly be in disobedience and continue to experience, you know, the miraculous favor of God. I'm talking context-wise, not favor in salvation, but miraculous favor of God. But generally, holistically, you have to understand God uses miracles sometimes to entreat people so that they would change their priorities and look to things that are more important. So he kept showing the children of Israel miracles, even though they were disobedient, kept performing miracles and telling Moses, I'm testing them to see if they will follow my law or not. So they kept grumbling. That didn't deter God. He still brought them out of Egypt with a strong hand. Part the Red Sea and kept saying, I'm testing to see if they will follow my law or not. But it comes to a point where you now be held accountable. But fundamentally, does God hear the prayers of sinners? Yes. I will give you two simple examples. The Bible tells us about Cornelius. Cornelius was not born again. But the Bible described him as a devout man. Acts chapter 10. Not only was he a devout man. Have you seen people who are not Christians, but they are very nice? Cornelius was like that. And not just that, he gave alms regularly. He was very generous, but he was not saved. Not just that, he was prayerful, but he was not saved. 
And his case was a case of ignorance. Nobody had told him about Jesus. No one had explained to him the gospel. Come on, are you with me? And then an angel appeared to him. Let me read it to you so you will see it. Acts chapter 10 verse 3. It says, about the night hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he had observed him, he was afraid. He said, what is it, Lord? He says, so he said to him, your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial unto God. You see that? So he was not saved, but did God hear his prayers? Aha. Uh -huh. Let me give you a more shocking example. Jesus was about to cast demons from this guy you saw at the graveyard. Thousands of them. He says, called their name Legion. He said, because we are many. And when Jesus was about to cast them out, they made a request. Listen, for many people, prayer is about making a request to God and having God grant that request. So I don't want to argue the semantics, but an argument can be made that what those demons did was prayer. But hold on. They made a request to Jesus. They said, please, when you cast us out, make us go into the pigs. Question, did Jesus grant their request or not? And so in Matthew chapter 8, verse 31, the Bible says, so the devils besought him, saying, if you cast us out, suffer us to go away into the head of swine. And Jesus said, go. And so they went into the swine. So it is possible to have prayer without having relationship. That's why some people are so horrible and yet so prayerful. It's possible. That's what it means to be religious. To have a form of godliness yet deny the power. It is possible. And so Jesus is correcting that. He said, this is the first thing you must understand about prayer. And this is the way to pray. He said, say, our Father who is in heaven. Make it about relationship first. Make it about consecration, not about you. This is the first thing to know about prayer. There is a God in heaven and he's not you. To be a person of prayer, you must look beyond yourself. To a God who has an objective will. A will to which you must submit. A father who is in heaven. And then the next thing also has to do with the first. He says, hallowed be your name. So this tells you about consecration. To be a person of prayer, you must be a person who is consecrated to the will of God. Hallowed be your name. It's about his plan. Your agenda, your chief agenda in life must be to fulfill his plan, to be consecrated to his will. So prayer is not an avenue for you to impose your wills on God. You've heard some phrases in prayer. If man says yes, God cannot say no. And those things are well-meaning. They emphasize tenacity. But don't get it wrong. 
prayer is not in a, a place where you just bend the hand of God and force him until he does for you what is inconsistent with his will. In the place of prayer, you come with an open, large, and contrite heart. And you say, Father, search me. Remove all the motives that are inconsistent with your will. Show me your plan for my life. So listen, there's a difference between saying, God, let my visa application be successful. I want to go to Canada. But a man of consecration will say, first and foremost, Lord, what is your will for my life? Where would you have me be? A lot of people, I'm telling you, don't know this. In the place of prayer, you must be open and be free so that God can tell you his plan. Hallowed be your name. Your honor for God must be evident in your willingness to submit yourself to his plans. Let me tell you this. Consecration will radically change your prayer focus. Radically. I say it again. Consecration will radically change your prayer focus. You see, when I began to grow up um, with the consciousness of New Testament revelation, the first, one of the first things that changed was prayer. Because imagine you want to pray only the way the early church prayed. When you look at the way most people pray today, and you compare it with the way the early church prayed, you want to wonder, where did they learn to pray like this? Just imagine Paul leading a prayer session. Paul, the apostle. And he says, you will place your hand on your head like this. And you say, oh God, oh God. Any herbalist in the village, tampering with my, you know, what are you waiting for? Summer, summer, summer. Do you understand what just imagine. So if it is laughable, so like some of you are laughing, you can't even imagine it. Where did we get it from? Listen, there are some elements of that that are, I mean, that must be emulated. We must emulate the favor. We must emulate the tenacity. But where is the place of doctrine? As far as consecration is concerned, for instance, in the New Testament, you hardly see a prayer for needs. Have you noticed? Hardly. Hardly. So, I remember years ago, I wanted to check for New Testament prayers. And I saw a pattern. I was just like, man, it is either Paul is so boring, or I have to realign my focus. Ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I've not ceased to give thanks to God for you. Making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. He prayed the same way for Ephesus. He prayed the same way for Colossae. He prayed the same way consistently. So I now have to realize this thing must be very important in the church. Where I grew up, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I mean, there are a lot of good things about my experiences. Can I talk freely, please? I'm tired of having to explain all these things. But, you know, with the consciousness that I grew up with, we pray about our needs for us. Then when you are rounding off, you say, let's begin to thank God. Is that not true? 
And then that's the most silent part of the prayer. That's the part where you catch your breath and you have this sigh of relief that ah, it means we're ending. Because it's always the last. Isn't that true? Uh, let's begin to thank God in your mind. They're like, oh, well, oh, it has finished. <laughs> so he just whispers. Then sometimes they remember, let's remember saints all around the world preaching the gospel. Let's pray for them. You know? Every other prayer, your voice is loud. You're very, you know, that's where your passion is expended. The intense giving, all those things, that's what you used to round off. But when you come to the New Testament, you see the things we put last are actually first. He's praying that you will grow and you don't see. Listen, do you think God doesn't care about your needs? The irony is, if you don't change this focus, you will keep having needs. Because really, warfare isn't about telling God about your problem. It's about telling your problem about God. What I'm still teaching you about relationship will bring you to a place of authority. A man who spends time dwelling on the consciousness of the fatherhood of God will step out and tell the mountains, move. I'm telling you, Telling you what I know. Has it ever happened to you? You set out to pray about your needs. You say, I'm going to pray about this. Then as you started praying, the Lord hijacked you. You started praying about other things. Has it happened to you before? Some of you know what I'm saying. You want to pray about your needs, but you find yourself praying about the gospel. You find yourself praying about the kingdom. You find yourself worshiping. You find yourself speaking in tongues. And then you allow the Holy Ghost to do his thing that when you are done, I will ask my own. But he still doesn't let you. That's the Holy Ghost teaching you something. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Since I got born again, I've never prayed for money once. Once. Does God want you to be prosperous? He does. I wish above all things. That you prosper and you're in good health, even as your soul prospers. But God would have you focus on him. He must be your focus, all right? And when your focus changes, the scope of your prayer will change. The moment you start dwelling on the consciousness of his fatherhood, and you start praying, hallowed be your name, your prayer will change immediately. You know what's going to come out of your mouth next? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Listen, Jesus is teaching you priority in prayer. People came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. And he's teaching them. This is AOC, area of concentration. God is teaching you what he expects to hear from you when you pray. He said, pray your kingdom come. What is the kingdom? It is the future and eternal reign of the Messiah. That's what the kingdom is. The future and eternal reign of the Messiah. That a time is going to come, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. He will wipe away the tear from every eye. And everyone who believes in him will live in a kingdom with perfect conditions. Listen, God is going to run a theocracy. We have a democracy now, but there is going to be a government on the shoulder of the sun. Run by
by the precepts of the wisdom of God. That time is coming. He said, pray about it. Cry, Maranatha. Pray that it will come quickly. And now you think it is deep to pray such prayers. It's not. Don't you understand? Everything that you would rather ask for is encapsulated in that prayer. Because now you want to pray for your sick relative. Guess what? If God heals that sick relative, you might need to pray for another one the next day. Someone else may get sick. And if you pray, God, provide for me. Provide for me. I need a job. I need a job. God provides that job. Something might happen in the economy. Maybe COVID happens. And all over the world, people lose jobs. God's final plan is the kingdom. Perfect conditions for all his people. He will wipe away the tear from every eye. Listen, with the miraculous, we can wipe away the tear from some eyes. That's not God's final plan. Are you listening to me? He said, pray your kingdom come. And that's why even at the burial of Lazarus, he's about to raise Lazarus up. But he reminds you, this is not my final plan. He said, the time is coming. says, He that believes in me, though he dies, he will live again. He says, and he that lives and believes in me will never die. Thank God for the miracle of the resurrection of the dead, but I am the resurrection. There is a difference. So what you want is not that miracle, it is me. I am the final, I, oh my God, are you listening to me? The kingdom is the finality of God's plan for your life. You should pray for it. You should covet it. You should desire it. A new heaven and a new earth. Thank God we have the foretaste of it in the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. If the Spirit of God has come into us, we have the kingdom. But think about it. This is what intimacy does. It makes you mature. It teaches you what your focus should be. Think about it. Are you with me? Do I have your attention? You are the disciples of Jesus. This Messiah that had been prophesied since the time of Adam and Eve is finally on the earth. And you want to pray in that season and what you are praying for is a better job. A better car. Oh, there were no cows. Cars. Maybe you want camels. Don't you see? You are at a strategic time in God's divine calendar. You can be a part of that in prayer. Uh, redemption is about to be procured for all mankind. So, maturity saves you from pettiness. You look beyond yourself. You start, you start praying the kingdom. So, this is the Messiah about to lay his life for all mankind. And then he's teaching you, this is what you should pray. Pray your kingdom come. What is the kingdom? It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> Not just in some pockets of humanity, but your kingdom in the whole earth be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's God's final plan. So like I said, your priority changes. You know, in this Lord's prayer, you think there are also some personal needs there. After all, he says, give us this day 
our daily bread. But I bet it to you, your understanding of this is wrong. He's still, he's still talking about the kingdom. The entire Lord's prayer is one prayer point. You have to understand it. So let's do a bit of Bible study now. So he says, give us this day what? Now, first and foremost, the translation daily bread is wrong. Many theologians, even Catholic theologians, agree that this is wrong. Because the word translated daily throughout the Bible is not the word that was translated here. The Greek word translated daily here was used only twice. Here and in the book of Matthew and in both places it was talking about the Lord's Prayer. Daily bread. Every other time daily was used in the New Testament, it was a different Greek word. I want to give you the words, all right? So the Greek word that was used throughout the Bible is hemera, H-E-M-E-R-A. That's what daily is. But this Greek word, I don't want to twist your tongue, so I'll just spell it to you, is epiosis. It's spelled E-P-I-O-U-S-I-O-S. Trust me, this is important. Epiosis means super essential, not daily. He's not talking about frequency. He's talking about importance. Give us that super essential bread. Now you wonder, what is that super essential bread? You think it's the one that comes from your kitchen? That would be a contradiction. Don't forget the same Jesus said, man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but by every what? So he cannot possibly call the bread that comes from your kitchen daily bread. He wasn't talking about that bread. So what is that super essential bread? Essential for all humanity. Listen in John chapter 6. The crowd was pushing Jesus to perform miracles. You fed 5,000 twice. Do it again. After all, Moses was a prophet. He fed us with manna from heaven. If you are a prophet, do the same thing. Feed us regularly. And Jesus said, I tell you assuredly, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven. What Moses gave you was not the bread from heaven. He says, I am the bread. Are you listening to me? He says, I am the bread from heaven. If anyone eats my flesh, drinks my blood. They didn't understand it. They thought Jesus was teaching one carnivorous doctrine. Are you trying to get us to eat flesh and drink blood? You know, he was talking about his death, his burial. He being propitiation for our sins. So for the kingdom to come, we are going to need propitiation. And it says, give us this day our daily bread. He is that bread come from heaven. You see, in the Lord's Supper, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. As you eat it, remember me. This is that necessary bread. So you are going to place your faith in me in my death, and everyone who believes in that death and in that resurrection will have eternal life. That's what makes that bread necessary. Because without that bread, you cannot see the coming kingdom. Are you with me? 
The next statement is also the same thing. It says, give us this day our daily bread. And what did he say next? And forgive us our trespasses. How does God forgive or how has God forgiven? By the death of Christ. So the daily bread is what is going to give forgiveness of sins. Ah. Are you now getting what he's praying about? The kingdom. So when he gives, so that prayer is, I mean, is answered in John 3, 16. For God to love the world that he gave. That's the daily bread that he has given. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So by placing your faith in the giving of that bread, you have forgiveness of sins. Look at Ephesians 1, 7. Ephesians 1, 7. We're going to read it together as loud as you can. Everybody read Ephesians 1, 7 together. One, two, go. Read it again loud as you can. One, two, go. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according. Listen. So, first and foremost, you have to realize that the format of the Lord's prayer has changed. Do you know it is wrong to say, forgive us our trespasses? He has done that. You know, ah, my God. Oh, that you will come to a point where you can talk like Paul. You know what Paul said? He says, we are laborers together with God. He said, you are God's husbandry. I'm working to, with God to plant in your life. What a mindset. Listen, we are all children of God, but people are at different levels of consecration. The people he was talking to are Christians too. He says, we are partners together, laborers together with God, and you are God's vine. Some people have positioned themselves in Christian devotion to be receiving. But some others, God plans with them. Like Isaiah, you get the privilege to be summoned to the throne room of God where executions, planning is being done. And you hear God saying, who shall go for us? Whom shall I send? And you say, uh, here I am. Listen, the only reason Isaiah was brought there it's because God knew Isaiah's heart. He knew he'd be willing to go. Some people, their faith in God is hinged on the things they're planning to get. So once they get Isaac, you may not see them in church again. But as proof that it was never about Isaac, even when God says, give Isaac, you just need a sleep. Before you bind Isaac, take him on a journey to the mountain and you bind him there. I remember the early stages of this ministry. Everything was by faith. To buy microphone, by faith. To buy podium, by faith. Everything. To pay rent, by faith. And then things were getting stable. We had 300 members, you know, and things were getting stable. For a long time, my allowance as a pastor, full graduate, was 2,500 weekly. And we were already at the cinemas, Silverbed cinemas. I'm not talking about long ago. 
Some of you forget because of how far God has brought us. Just four years ago, we were at Silver Bay Cinemas. Four years ago, our total attendance, CCI Global, was 230. But things were beginning to stabilize. And then God tells me, go to Abuja, start afresh. Ha! You know, the story is sweet now. It's sweet now. But listen, man, it took sacrifice. All right? It took sacrifice. And then, you know, the devil will come with suggestions. You know, they're going to start afresh. So now, those days, people will ask, where is the headquarters? <laughs> so now you're picturing, okay, where, where am I? You know, what if I go there, only 12 people? Because I had no assurance. I see, we did no feasibility study. We didn't know people were following our ministry. God just says, go. Hallelujah. If you don't learn this, your prayer will be a waste of time. Because no matter how long you are praying, God knows your heart. He knows the instructions you will not obey. And so he will not waste his time. So there are some things he would have told you that he will not tell you because you are so set in your ways. There are some things you already want to do. Have you seen people? I mean, they will nod a thousand times when they are talking. It is still what's in their heart they will do. And some of you have that same character when it comes to the Lord. But when you come to the point where, like Paul, you say, I know whom I've believed. I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed to his hands. You surrender your entire life to him. Lord, whatever instruction you give me, give me. Listen, it will take you to a new level. Divine direction will come to a new dimension. When God says, I know Abraham. He will instruct his children after him. God likes doers. God likes doers. The anointing functions on dead men. <laughs> it functions the most on dead men. Men who are dead to self. You will start seeing more power in your life. You will start seeing more signs in your life. More confirmations in your life. When God can tell you, I remember... Many of you don't know I had a secular job. I was at my office one day, working, just doing my normal work, and the Lord said to me, resign. <laughs> Are you listening to me? You know, so now a lot of people look at us in the present, and they think that there are some things they admire. If you don't learn the consecration, you can never see the results. You can't. You can't. You can't. The last time I was in Abuja, there were 1,500 people in attendance. Three years after. And a lot of people look at that. You know, a young minister, after the service, held me. They said, sir, when I look at this, I wonder, can God ever use me like this? In my mind, I'm like, that's the problem. That's the problem. You don't know that if there were only 50, I won't consider myself a failure. That's what you need to learn. You care too much what people think. You care too much. You're looking too much at social media, what other people are doing, until you die to self. Ah, let me teach you something that will change your life. God is God-centered. He loves you, but he is most committed to his own plan. 
And so one of the most powerful things you can do with your life is to discover the direction of the waves and align. If you are swimming against the tide, that's why you are struggling. Get a boat and surf with the waves. Everyone that saw extraordinary power, they were aligned. It wasn't because um, they were prayerful, even though prayer is important. What is more important in prayer is priority. What is God doing? If you go where God says to go, you will find him there waiting. You will find his provision there. You will find his power there. That's what you need. That's the breakthrough you need. Where you come to a point, God can tell you, leave where you are now, relocate. And like me, you can relocate your entire family, redraw your children from school. God said to move. Those are the men that God would use. He can talk to Abraham and say, go to a place I will show you. You start going without direction. Where are you going? I don't know. God said to go. You start moving. The problem is you want to keep your security and keep your devotion. It doesn't work. There has to be a selflessness, a consecration. The priority must be God. Hallowed be your name. I don't really care what people think. I don't really care people's assessment of me. I will go where you will have me go. I will go. My dad was talking to me the day before yesterday. He said, I thank God I didn't stop you. Now I, will look, if I would have looked bad today. I thank God. But you have to understand where I'm coming from. You know, when I invest, send you to a private school, then you finish and you say, God called you. Put yourself in my shoes. I say, I understand, sir. <laughs> Hallelujah. My question to you today is, will you do what God will have you do? Will you go where God will have you go? I'm going to lead you in prayer today. You are going to realign your perspective. Some of you, you've been so hardened in your hearts. God cannot even talk to you. There are some things God cannot bring up. But as you put that aside, God is going to shatter your current structure. He might shatter your current structure. He might give you hard instructions. He might tell you that money you received, give it. He might tell you resign. He might tell you keep that job that you want to leave. He might actually tell you to relocate. A lot of people think the instructions of God must be hard and difficult. It's not about whether it is hard or difficult. It's not about the nobility of it before men. It's about God and his plan. Like Paul, you just say, I'm in a fix betwixt two. To depart and be with Christ is far better. It might not be far better in the eyes of men, but it's far better. He says, but to stay is fruitful labor to you. I'm going to pray. And as you pray... The Lord is going to show many of you visions. His power is going to come on you because every altar that is prepared will see fire. Did you hear what I said? As you prepare your heart with consecration, as a confirmation, fire will come on that altar. It will be a sign of a new covenant of consecration, a new direction for your work with God. And then the instructions will start coming. Let me tell you with, with assurance and from experience, no matter how difficult it seems, do it. Did you hear what I said? Do it. 
do it. God has tried me many times. Give this money. Go this place. Give this, you know. And then when God can work with you, he will open the resources to pour in your direction. There was a, I was in a restroom one morning. He said, send money to this person. As I sent money, she called immediately, crying. I said, what is the matter? She said, now I know that God hears my prayer. I said, what is the matter? She said, I just prayed now, now, now. God, please send me help. She said, I just prayed now. She said, please, did God tell you? I said, yes, yeah, so. She was happy in my mind. I was like, no be your fault now. <laughs> no be your fault. But some of us are used to it. Ask my wife, she will tell you. God only tells me what he is sure he's ready to do. Because if he tells me, I will do it all. I will do it. If God tells me to drop this work, hand over to Pastor T, hand over to Pastor Mayo, I will do, I will do it. You will hear after I've done it. I'm not here for the fame. I'm not here for, for the applause of men. I'm here because God said to be here. Are you ready? Stand to your feet. Kamande lebokov se kipo hosh. Elijah called fire on the altar. You are the altar of God. If you prepare your heart, a fresh fire is going to come on it. You're going to pray this simple prayer right now. You're going to say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I realign my motives in any way. I have been unreceptive to your leadings and to your plans and to your direction. I repent. I repent in the name of Jesus. Redirect my motives. Redirect my heart. Begin to pray right now. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809 996 7000. Blessings.